welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Uh, this is Taylor Schroll, the producer of this show, and I have to apologize because uh, Matt Rice records the show here in my studio, and when he came over, everything in the studio broke, and we couldn't figure out why, so he recorded this interview with his AirPods, and it sounds like it was recorded in 1976. But to be fair, Matt also used AirPods. That will make more sense in a moment. Anyway, the interview is great. It's a great episode. You're going to love it. It just doesn't sound as good as normal, and it's 84% my fault. Enjoy! Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as messed up as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Now, what was so funny, Chris? (laughs) I'm sorry. I was thinking about that egg salad sandwich I had earlier. Forget it. Whatever. Just let's start the show. Today is a special episode. It's between two mats. It is. I'm between two mats. It's amazing. (laughs) So we're going to welcome, welcome uh, Matt Reggett. Uh, he is a leadership coach at Divine Renovation, and he was in youth ministry for 20 years before that. So Matt, like, what is a leadership coach? Like, what is that? Like, whistles and all that stuff, yelling at kids? Yeah, whistles and sidelines and yelling plays. <laughs> no, actually, leadership coach, it's cool. I mean, there's a lot of ways to define what a coach is. Um, we're actually coaching pastors and leadership teams at parishes and at dioceses to help them in the best of leadership principles to make evangelization a primary focus and to call them the Holy Spirit. I'm interrupting you because I need to know, do you, are yeah. you confident, like 100% confident in the pronunciation of the plural of diocese? No, yeah, I am. I've heard that too. Like I've heard diocese is plural or dioceses. I, I just, I, I, I have not met anybody who knows confidently that it's diocese, like, like deer and deer. Or dioceses. That just sounds like a disease. Well, let's decide here. Let's just decide. I mean, how many years of experience do we have right here in the church? 60 total. 80? <laughs> 60 total. Yeah. So I, I say diocese is the plural of diocese. Diocese is the plural of, plural of diocese. So the same word. Like deer and deer. Yep. That's what I would say. If we put that to a poll, like, can we, <laughs> can we create that and see what people think? No, you'll get too many, like, inside church people that, like, quote canon yeah, law yeah, an actual answer the debate's, <laughs> the debate's over we have the actual answer all right so a little bit more about you matt um yeah so that's what you're doing now um at divine renovation and just a, a little bit about your experience in youth ministry and just ministry in the church yeah actually i'm sitting in our, our youth ministry uh building we call it the youth evangelization building uh and named after saint pedro Kalungzad, a filipino saint um just uh uh, to put that out there, if anyone wants one to of the one of the hundred, thousands of saints that I have never heard of before. <laughs> That's right. And try and spell Kalungzad, and if you do, you get uh, a prize. <laughs> but um, I'm in the youth center that we built during my time here as youth minister. I was here for 20 years. It's actually the parish I grew up in. Uh, was youth minister with my brother Dave. Actually, my brother Dave. You know, like from the same mother, not like you know, brother Dave. Um, and he's still the youth minister here. Now, youth ministry has looked a lot different in the last eight months, so I'm kind of alone in the youth center um, with the red lights and the crosses. But other than that, um, you know, this is really the place that I learned how to be a disciple and how to make other disciples. 
uh, of the young church and realize how important families are. And that's been kind of the focus, I think, recently on our ministry is how to make families a priority in this disciple making process. Amen. And speaking of families, you have one. I have one. (laughs) Yep. I'm from one and I have one. Um, I have four children in the house uh, and a wife. Uh, She, uh, I married up. Let's just say that I married up. I know you guys did too. So it's like saying, I'm saying the right answer here on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, And for the first time this year, we're at three different schools and that has been the challenge of 2020 on top of a couple other small challenges we face. On top of the rest of 2020. <laughs> yes. So I, I am fascinated by what you do. You pour into priests. Essentially, that is kind of your main gig. And a lot of ministry leaders listening, and I'm sure you've been in this season in your life as well as, as, a, as a younger youth minister and things like that, to where just having a conversation where you're advocating for anything to the priest, it seems like you're walking into the lion's den. How's your experience been in regards to coaching? Have have you ever had to say, hey, that's unacceptable. Go take a lap, you know, or whatever in regards to coaching priests? Yeah, blow the whistle, personal foul. No, I I have. And I tell you the interesting thing, though, when when a pastor uh, comes alongside Divine Renovation and wants us to help them in their renewal efforts, they kind of know what they're getting into at the beginning. And so maybe we're a staff person whose livelihood and job depends on them, like not ruffling any feathers. That's not, that's not my role. I'm there to challenge priests and to push back. Um, but that first comes through building a really healthy relationship. For instance, I will tell you just an example. One of the pastors that I get to coach, and I get to coach pastors in the UK and Canada, those are different countries, and in the US as well. Um, one of them set up a coaching call with me on his vacation. And so if this was just about a work commitment, he wanted to disconnect. But we have built a relationship of trust or he wanted to connect with me when he was disconnected from the church and just kind of talk about some of this stuff. So that shows me really this coaching relationship has turned into a really trusted advisory role where I can speak from the outside and I don't really care if he fires me. Um, and, and we can have some really crucial conversations about his parish and about leadership. Um, so it's kind of like having another staff person that you don't have to worry about, you know, them, getting fired or walking out on you or getting your feelings hurt the same way. It's like, like, I mean, you're not quite a consultant, but maybe that's similar. Um, but consultants it like, have a lot more freedom in, in what they say and what they share. Um, they're able to like hold people to task, you know, a lot more because they've been given permission to do so, but not only like, do you have permission to do so like on the, I don't know, the, the logistical level or the business level, but you also pour into them and develop a relationship where you actually, or like given permission to do so personally. And that's huge. Yeah, it is. And I tell you, when we get on a call, I'll just tell you when I talk to a pastor, I'm like, okay, I have some things we could talk about, but tell me what's the sticking point for you today or what's come up as priority number one that you need to walk through. And if you don't have anything that you're stuck on, maybe we look at something you're about to do. Can we help you set, set up for success? Or can we help you in building your team? I mean, how many parishes have we been a part of or seen that the pastor goes at it alone yeah. and they've lost their, their passion or they've, they've, they've even lost their desire to do anything creative because it's just so hard. I mean, all the things about being a pastor are really hard yeah. and we're expecting them to do things that they weren't ordained to do yeah. and they probably never got into the seminary to do in the first yeah. place. Yeah, which is sometimes as ministry leaders, we need to remember that, that uh, 15% of what they do is what they spent all the time in seminary preparing for. 
The other 85% is outside of their training and their formation. Because these pastors have become CEOs first of these million-dollar organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a lot of different demands that come along there. And a lot of them are heavy. How do you, going into a new parish, recognizing that this employee is not the right fit, but their family needs to eat still? Like, how do you navigate that? I wouldn't want to be a pastor in that regard. That's a hard situation. And, uh, and yet the mission and the vision that the church has called us to is bigger than that. And God has plans for that person. And clearly those plans are beyond this parish. You know what I mean? Like, I need you to be in the civil workforce, not in the church workforce. And But, but at the same time, some of that is paralyzing, overwhelming. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm fascinated to hear some of those. Con- I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations. They are great. I leave them skipping. Like, I'm so excited. Now, they're draining, right? I mean, we know how it's draining Zoom can be. You guys are going to wear me out in this time. But I mean, it's so exciting to see pastors desiring to lead differently, um, wanting their people to fall in love with the Lord and to come back to the church. It's just been so wonderful and life-giving to be part of this ministry. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. All right. So um, transitioning a little bit into like what, what what was on your heart or what is on your heart today to share with ministry leaders that are going to be listening to this, you know, and knowing that we've got you know, priests that listen to this, you know, you know, mothers and fathers and, you know, ministers of all kinds. Yeah, I, I tell you, my focus has been um, not just on my ministry during quarantine, of course, but really on my family, on my domestic church, because uh, we've spent a lot more time together. Right. And we've had to figure out what, oh, my gosh, we can have dinner five nights a week together. <laughs> My wife and I can go on walks at night. This is crazy talk. I never had this many free evenings. But I mean, in, in a sense, I see it as a grace of the pandemic to really reprioritize what was most important all along. Yep. And for pastors too, right? Like the busyness of the church is not the mission of the church. Yep. I heard one guy say, and and you, I don't know the math. You'd have to go do your own math on this. But he said, if the Holy Spirit withdrew his presence from the church, which is a terrible thing to even imagine. So only imagine it for the next five seconds. If the Holy Spirit withdrew his presence from the church, 90% of the activity would continue. Wow. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. So guess what, folks? We're all out of the church. 90% of the activity is not going on. Let's not just start it all back up again. Yeah. Right? Let's figure out what's aligned with the mission. Let's figure out what has the most impact. Let's figure out what brings people to Jesus, not just makes them busy. I don't need to be more busy and I don't want to be busier than I was before the pandemic. And so my family is getting more of me. And I think that's been a big focus for me is like our domestic church. We even created uh, core values in my house, a family rule of life. Um, and we've made the youth ministry focus at the parish about engaging families, helping them create a family rule of life and having families mentor other families which sounds like the old job of the youth minister, right? But we were never meant to be the substitutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're supplementing what's going on at home. And if nothing's going on at home, we de facto become the substitutes, but that's not the proper role of us. It's actually parents. And I know this has been a problem for youth ministers and volunteers and parents for generations now, right? Like how do you involve the family in this in a post-Christian world? Or some would even say it's no, it's now become a pre-Christian world all over Mm -hmm. again. Um, and that's been the challenge. And so I think it's really about families. That's where my heart is. Going. What, what does that look like for a ministry leader to like empower that? I mean, I know there's core values and different things like that, but I'm just sitting behind it and I'm looking at a bunch of email addresses 
that don't respond to the emails because I'm like, hey, you guys should do this as a family and you guys should do that. Here's a resource. And you're like, is anyone doing this? So, so how do we as ministry leaders go ahead and help people to create what you have created in your own domestic church? It's an easy question. You know, the, reason I, the reason I pause is because I'm picturing the people on your that are listening around your car now. It's like you have like professional youth ministers that are paid. You have professional youth ministers that are not paid. Those full-time volunteers that don't get benefits. Yep. We have parents out there who have now become the youth ministers again because the youth ministry department at their church is closed down or they had to furlough that person. And you've got priests um, that are hiring youth ministers. So it's like this whole web of people interested in youth culture and believe in family life. And I think really we have to allow ourselves to not be so programmatic and um, worried about large numbers and more about discipling maybe a few and being okay with that model, but figuring out how to expand it. Now it goes back to Jesus, right? He picked 12 dudes and some women and they went camping for three years. But then he also, remember, he also over-invested in three of them, Peter, James, and John. We don't know why. Now, if I was St. Andrew and I introduced Peter to Jesus, I'd be a little miffed, you know, when I get to heaven. If Praise be to God if that's the case. I want to ask him, like, how was that? Like seeing Peter get pulled away as like a, more special than you. I don't know. Maybe you're okay with that, but I wouldn't have been. Because that that's like sibling rivalry, right? I know what that's like with my brother Dave. But like over-investing in people because our job's to make disciples, not just be disciples. And to make disciples take some time and an investment in them. So I think over-investing in who are those families right now? Like, as I say, okay, what's the starting point? Who are the 10 families in your parish that are bought in? Um, you see them regularly. Their teens come to youth group. Their parents maybe have been volunteers before, but even if they haven't, they're like trying to do family life. Over-invest in those 10. Six months, say, we're going to create something new. We're going to create a family network here. We're going to create something new. And then after those 10, you pour into them, figure out how they can pour into three or five others and select them. I know it sounds like ideal and this is kind of that focus model, you know, that you see on college campuses, but I think we've got to get back to that rather than just the, okay, tonight's youth night, everybody come, it's in the bulletin. And if you show up, you're going to get something. Yeah. So right. on the, on the practical side, um, I always like to get a, like a little nitty gritty. So let's say I'm my family or whatever, um, doesn't know another family, like really like intimately or whatever, where we actually would have the opportunity to speak into their life. Um, what's the first step? Like, um, and, and I know that there are families that I know that I see at church and I could probably invite them over for breakfast one day or lunch one day or dinner or whatever, but would that yeah. be the first step just to get to know each other? Or like, how do you, really? how do you make friends <laughs> with another family? It's <laughs> a really good question. You know, um, there was a great book, if, if you're reading, this is an, an old classic that really changed the way we, our paradigm here and how we did youth ministry about seven years ago when we went to this Connect Saturday model. It was called Engaging a New Generation by Frank Mercadante. Uh -huh. And he was the first I saw do this. He said, you know, the old model, how people came into faith was believe, behave, belong. And I know a lot of people have done stuff with this, like Father Mike Schmitz has done a lot with it. Divine Renovation, we've done a lot with this believe, behave, belong model that it used to be, let's get them and catechize them. Let's teach them all the things and then they'll behave accordingly once we've, you know, indoctrinated them or whatever term you want to use or catechized or informed them. And then they'll belong by sense of them all behaving the same way. But that model is not a, a natural progression. I don't know that it ever really was, yep. but, but belong needs to go to the front of that equation. 
right? Belonging first. So creating a place where people feel trusted and welcomed. Uh, it, it relies on our hospitality. It relies on us taking a risk. It relies on us inviting people. That idea of belonging, I think youth ministry has gotten for a couple decades, especially from the circles that you, the three of us are running. Yeah. But, you know, what happened in one diocese, which will remain nameless, is I saw that when they started trying to open things up for the pandemic, you know, we, we opened up mass at a certain amount, and like everything else was shut down, just mass. Well, finally, when it came time to like address youth ministry, one diocese said, we're going to open up youth ministry again for catechesis, mm. because that's how we evangelize. Mm. So they prioritized importance. Number one, the primary importance is to believe again, just make sure we teach the stuff. And we know from team culture, that isn't what attracts them or draws them, but that's what deepens them. Yeah. And we need that. But there's an order to this. Like, so to your point, like invite them over to a back porch. You know, there's some ministries that are focused on like how to do back porch ministry or how to do street ministry or um, how to do block ministry, neighborhood ministry. And it's harder in a pandemic. But the thing that the pandemic has allowed us, instead of it being these big programs, let's focus on a few. Yeah. Like can't have more than 10 people or don't want to go outside my bubble. Invite a family over for dinner. Yeah. That, that whole idea, like, like jokingly, the, the catechesis is something we sneak in you know, to belonging, you know, um, youth right. ministers like, and, and that's the part that the youth are like, okay, I guess I'll put up with this for a period of time, you know, in the midst of all this other stuff. But yeah, the goal is that eventually they want that, but <laughs> we're, we're feeding people food that they're not hungry for. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. And we've got a bunch of two-year-olds because I have a two-year-old and I have a four-year-old and uh, my son has at least learned how to say it politely instead of, I don't like this. He goes, I don't love this. Can I have something different? Right. <laughs> but, but the families aren't saying that they just walk away. And guess what? Being scared at church with big communities, COVID has made it to where people don't love that aspect of the church. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so that big gathering but but they still miss their family members and their relatives, and they'll still make it a priority to go see them. And so they belonged on a smaller level. The, 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 there's no such thing as a 3,000 family parish. There's a bunch of small communities that happen to gather at the same spot, or it's just like having a, a membership to Costco, and that's all we have in common. Mm. Yeah. Well, wow. so, you know, there's an analogy that Father James uh, likes to use. He says there's a difference between feeding uh, sheep and catching fish and they don't eat the same thing yes so we kind of think of our flock the people that are here as like our sheep you know they've come to be fed but there's people out there that the fish that we have to go catch and you don't catch them the same way you don't catch a fish with the same thing you feed the sheep which is why like you said people that don't know jesus or, or, or aren't bought into the mission of the church aren't eating the same thing yet yep that's a, I, I really like that analogy yeah for sure um, so you you mentioned um, before the show that in this pandemic, you've seen um, God doing some really interesting things in different people's lives, kind of like transforming their ministries in a way. Um, and you yourself uh, had something like this happen within your family. You finally got to finish something that y'all were planning on or working on for some time. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we were talking about just even in, in the three of us, how, how the Lord has really placed on our hearts a movement to follow his will boldly, maybe where we don't know where it's taking us. You know, for me, um, right before the pandemic, it was it was divine renovation uh, to step out of full-time parish ministry and do that full-time. I know you guys have some of your own um, inspirations that you're following now, but even like a friend of ours out in California who just joined the seminary, who's on the road doing music full-time, 
Um, and, and for my family specifically, we've been working on a little children's book project for several years about our son Beckett wanting to be a priest. And finally, during the pandemic, it was published by Paulus Press. Uh, it's out now. Um, my son thinks he's real cool because he's got like, he can sign his name. He's like figured out how he wants to sign his name when he sends books out. That's awesome. But I told him, I said, Beckett, remember, I said, Beckett, it's not about you. Want, like we haven't now tagged you as you have to be a priest. But what this does is it allows other families, domestic churches to have a natural conversation in their house about what it would look like to be a priest. And it's a normal day in life of a family that has a little kid that happened to want to be a priest. And we wrote a book about it. And our friend Paul Latino uh, is a fantastic artist. He's the one that illustrated it. It's on Amazon now. And it's it's just been neat to see how that too has brought our family together. That's cool. And so how old is Beckett? He's He just turned 12 last wow. week. Awesome. And this is a, an image. Oh, I'm not going to be able to okay. see it very well. Oh, look. He has yeah, the book. You get the book. <laughs> hey. So here's... Here's what I want to note about that, because I think that the the pandemic and kind of even evangelization in a lot of ways of what we thought of it, even just a year ago, um, like has said, everything needs to be on hold. We're going to, it's prudent to be on hold. We need it because if it can't be done at the parish, then it's not an approved form of evangelization. And yet God has made your family, Matt Regitz, a new creation. And being a new creation means that you, like the Father, create. And so you guys create love in a new way, but you guys also created a book, a book that is going to be a means of evangelization. Now, that did not come out of your parish, but you know what did come out of your parish? Your domestic church. So that book is, to a degree, a fruit of the parish, but it's a fruit of your domestic church. We should be creating and evangelizing and sharing in a way that is new and uh, and specific to the weirdness of our own domestic churches. Our families are weird, and there's a reason for that, you know. And so I just I just want to say, like, that's a fruit. I'm not saying every family needs to write a book. Yeah, every family has something to offer, and and like the diversity that the church will see when the fruit is born from those families um, will be amazing. Like it, like just to see all the different ways that the Holy Spirit's going to move, or you know, can move and will move through these different families and their own specific charisms and how that comes out is going to be beautiful. Healthy things grow, healthy things produce fruit and the Holy spirit helps make things healthy. I mean, it's not like, Oh, okay. Figured it out. Now I'm good. But like, we need to remember that this is about like immersing ourselves in the will of the father through the power of the Holy spirit prayer, like pray as a family. You want to get real practical, Matt, like you said, I like practicals pray as a family. This doesn't have to be a whole rosary. Like sometimes we get through a decade and we're like high-fiving each yeah, other, yeah. right? Have those intentional moments with our kids. I had a really crazy conversation with my son last night, tucking him in, and he just started crying. Mm. And so I laid there for 15 minutes and we had a conversation and he finally breathed this great sigh of relief and fell asleep. He was carrying that with him. That wasn't, I didn't pull out a book and like teach him stuff. I just shared from my father's heart about how much God loves him and he's got it figured out. It starts with just simple stuff. And it's organic more than it's systematic. And I yeah. think that that's something that we need to work on both in our domestic churches, but also in our parishes as well. As a parish, as ministry leaders in parish communities, if you see a need, let's respond to the need. We don't have to create a system or a program so that that need is never seen again or always going to be addressed perfectly. Let's just meet it imperfectly and journey with the people until they breathe that same sigh of relief. Yeah. You know what's going to come out of this, too? The new models that are going to come out of this 
are people that are doing it organically out of a movement of the spirit that they're responding to. It's not going to come funneling through the parish, right? For so long, the parish was the outpost. Like that's where you went for all the stuff. But now it's people's houses. Now I know dioceses are going to like start flipping out like, oh no, we don't have everybody trained and we don't have all the forms signed and they can't go through our two-year process and we can't dangle the sacramental carrot over them for several years to get it all done. It's going to have to change yep. because families have changed. The times have changed. And don't miss this. This is the important thing. We're not changing the mission of the church. We're changing the methods. Amen. Yeah. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. This doesn't mean all of a sudden we get to reinvent theology. Yep. We're interpreting it in our context. So people believe the theology that's always been. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are coming up on time. Um, Matt. Where can people find you? How can they find you? How can they find that book? All that jazz. Yeah. So one, I would say like for Divine Renovation Ministries, we have a website, just divinerenovation.org. Uh, find out more about what we're doing in parishes. Uh, we do webinars around the world. Anybody's uh, free to hop on those and see what we're doing to help inspire parishes because we do still realize that the sacramental center of the family is still going to reside in the parish through the mm -hmm. priest. That, that's the same, right? So we're wanting to, to raise uh, up good leaders. So you can check us out there. Uh, you can find on amazon.com. You can find our new little children's book. Beckett wants to be a priest. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear how that's blessing your, your, your community, your domestic church. And then finally, I would say, you know, for all those youth ministers out there, if you just want uh, somebody to say some words into your experience or to pray with you, you know, you can find me on social media. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and the Facebook and all of that stuff. Uh, my wife and I also have a ministry called Survive and Thrive Ministries where we walk with families through grief. Uh, we experienced grief 14 years ago when we lost a daughter. And so we realized that that cross is super heavy for people to carry alone, but it's a little lighter, especially when somebody's carried a cross of grief already to carry it with them. So we do some of that. And Survive and Thrive Ministries is also on, on Instagram too. So that's where you find me. Or if you're a teenager and you're looking for a parish home in Houston, when we open things back up, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Awesome. I want to encourage you, ministry leaders, I know that a lot of what Divine Renovation does is focused on priests and transforming parishes, but the methods that they use, go to one of their webinars, go check out some of the things they have, and take the, that methodology, because it's effective for all ministries, even in your home, right? So you you came up with your own families, was it Code of Conduct? What was it called? Uh, we, well, we have a rule of life, but we also have our core values. Core values, right? And so this can be something that you apply to whatever your ministerial role is, and it might just shake you out of the funk. If you're in a funk right now because of COVID, I felt like Eeyore for the first three months of quarantine because it was like, I can't do this, and this is stopped, and this is ended. And it took someone else giving me a fresh idea, being like, okay, I'm going to attack this. So expose yourself to great ideas, divine renovation, and what Matt Regitz is doing. It is just peppered full of great ideas. Thank you, Matt, so much for being here. Thanks, brothers. We should do this more often when it's not recorded. Too. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue this conversation online. Please send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for ministry leaders and to think outside the box in regards to some dynamic way to seek out your Peter, James, and John and over-invest somewhere. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.